O God of grace and glory, we give you thanks for this night which shimmers with the light of eternity. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In Galatians, St. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, so that we might receive adoption as children. Most Episcopalians know that phrase, the fullness of time, from our Eucharistic prayers, even if they do not recognize it as being from Galatians. This is what tonight, the Easter Vigil, is all about, the fullness of time. For about 1,500 years, Christians have been gathering on this night and praying the words of the exultant, in which we heard the words, how blessed is this night, when earth and heaven are joined and humanity is reconciled to God. Now we experience time in a particular way. When we lit the Easter fire in the columbarium, we think of that moment being behind us, no longer accessible. Now, I do not pretend to be an astrophysicist, philosopher, or quantum physicist, but I've read the works of people in those fields who have engaged with theology. And what they have taught me is that time is a rather funny thing. We perceive it in one way, and we assume that that is how time really is. But in truth, there is much more about time that we do not know than we do. We do not know exactly what happens to time when we approach the speed of light, as happens near a black hole. We have all experienced that some moments seem to last forever, and others are gone before we even notice them. Thinking that we understand time is like asking a worm how to get from New York to San Francisco. As an Episcopal theologian wrote in a recent book called The Fullness of Time, scientific knowledge is real, but God is more real than that. The Easter Vigil takes us into that reality that is more real than anything else we have ever known. To better attune our chronological senses, we must realize that we are not looking into the past tonight. We do not seek to dwell on God's saving deeds of yesterday in the Exodus or the lion's den. No, instead, what we are seeing is actually the inbreaking of the future into time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the culmination of all creation. It is when eternity broke into time and brought the dawn of the new creation. So when we heard God's saving deeds in the Old Testament, we are witnessing moments in real time when God's final future washes upon the shores of time as waves emanating from the tides of God's timeless love. And with this different approach, the readings that we heard in the vigil take on new significance to us, 
no longer as glimpses of salvation history, but rather as the inbreaking of salvation future. We began in Genesis with the very act of the creation of time and space. With God, literally all things are possible, possible because no thing exists without God. There was no before creation. So even our language and the imprecise understanding of time betray me here. But before creation, there was nothing. The most that we can say about it is that it was not. Sheer and utter nothingness. But God brought order to chaos and life from emptiness. And the way the creation story unfolds is in terms of a liturgy. There's a certain rhythm and intentionality to how God makes things. And scholars tell us that what is being described in Genesis is the construction of a temple. What makes a temple a temple, and not just a really big building, is the presence of the divine being at the center. But instead of a statue of the Lord, we find humanity in the center of creation, bearing the image of God. We are placed here in creation to reflect the glory and the love of our creator. And so we are blessed with a sacred vocation and purpose. This is the first time that the fullness of time comes into our focus. When God calls this whole setup very good. We are blessed with the image of God so that we might bless all of creation by showing forth that image. We then heard in the book of wisdom of Solomon about the wisdom of God that was present at creation. It has long been noted that there are Trinitarian tones here. Wisdom is the spoken word of God, who we have come to know in incarnate form as Jesus. This wisdom has always been with God, and we heard that she orders all things well. This is the next wave of God's future that breaks upon us tonight. The sense that things have been ordered in such a way for us to know and thrive in our salvation. How glorious and gracious that God sends these waves of salvation to us and gives us the gift of wisdom to make this saving love known. In the Exodus, we hear the most definitive inbreaking of God's future into the present for Israel. When Israel was between the rock and the hard place of the waters and Egypt's army, God does what God so often does in making a way out of no way. One aspect of this tidal wave of the future is that sometimes salvation, like a tidal wave, can be scary and disorienting. The people see the chaotic waters in front of them and the fearsome army behind them. They're ready to concede and go back into slavery. Sometimes we try to run from salvation when it is right in front of us. Or we try to make our own way out of a tough situation instead of trusting that God will do what God has promised to do. Through Moses, God says, do not be afraid, stand firm. I will deliver you today. I will fight for you. You have only to keep still. 
So often, though, we try to do so much more than keeping still. Indeed, salvation comes to us, towards us, as waves continually crashing on our shores. Sometimes this salvation, though, is not what we expected or even what we thought we wanted. But the God of all things gives us the best path forward. This salvation, though, is not forced on us, just as it was not forced on the Hebrew people. Imagine standing there on the banks of what used to be the Red Sea, only to find a wall of water on both sides. I bet those first few steps were tentative. The salvation that God provides is not something to carry in our back pocket, like a get-out-of-jail-free card. No, it is something that we enter into step by step, day by day. We walk the way of salvation, following the way that the Lord has blazed for us. While it is certainly true that salvation is a communal reality, something that happens not just for individuals, but for all of creation, it is also true that salvation is experienced personally. Again, not individually, but personally. The prophecy to Ezekiel gives us a sense of this when we heard that God's salvation comes to us as a new heart and a new spirit. In using the metaphor of salvation coming as waves on a shore, we have that image of water. And Ezekiel notes that this newness comes through having clean water sprinkled on us. Water has been present in many of the other readings, and water will come to the fore when later in this liturgy we renew our own baptismal vows and are sprinkled with water to have that grace of God fall afresh on us. Baptism is not something that happened to us a long time ago. That is an impoverished view of time. Rather, baptism is a reality that we enter. It's something like marriage. Yes, there is a wedding, but the point of getting married is not to have a wedding. It is to have a life of commitment, of partnership, of sacrifice. And baptism is the same. It's not about something that happened in a church or a lake decades ago. It is about being sealed as Christ's own forever and being empowered by the Spirit forever. And how exactly the Spirit transforms us will depend on the person. Some people follow God through their intellect, like Thomas Aquinas. Some through courage, like Harriet Tubman. Some through sacrifice, like Oscar Romero. Some through teaching, like Thomas Cramner. Some through service, like Elizabeth Duncan Kuntz. For Daniel, it was an unwavering trust in God. Though he knew that his allegiance to God could cost him his life, even in the face of conspiracy and collusion against him, he remained faithful to the God who was faithful to him. Now, unless you have a mishap at the zoo, it is unlikely that you will ever be in a lion's den, as was Daniel. But as we know from the letter of 1 Peter, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There are lions that seek to destroy us. They go by different names, but they all generally end with ism. 
One of the ways that God's salvation breaks into our lives is in giving us a better, a holier, a truer, a more beautiful way of being in this world. That strength and protection are what Daniel knew through his faith. And it is what God calls us into through our baptisms. We are made different in baptism so that we can be in this world differently. Not in opposition to the world, but in the world in the way that God intended when God created us in the beginning. Baptism is our reorientation to the way of love. And so when we renew our vows in just a little bit, listen for what God is summoning up in us. The vigil readings concluded with Zephaniah, a reading that speaks to the ultimate trajectory of time, God being in our midst. Contrary to popular and incorrect belief, the end of all things is not utter destruction, not raptures, dragons, or beasts, not harps in the clouds, golden streets, or anything of that sort. No, from Genesis to Revelation, Scripture is consistent on what the fullness of time is all about. God being with creation fully. This is what the incarnation of Jesus is all about. It is what our ultimate hope is. The resurrection is one of those moments when eternity touches time. And we see the promise of God that nothing, not sin, not death, not fear, not doubt, stands between us and God's love. Zephaniah gives us a vision of this wave that was out at sea. And tonight we see the source that keeps sending out these waves of salvation to us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Part of the reason why I choose to preach at the Easter Vigil at this point in the liturgy, instead of after the Gospel text as we typically do, is that the Easter Gospel preaches itself once we allow the liturgy to wash over us. This sermon is intended to do just that, to reorient our sense of time so that when we joyfully and exuberantly proclaim the resurrection, it will be as glorious as it was on that first Easter. Because this is the very same night of our Lord's resurrection. Just as it did then, God's future is breaking upon the shores of our time. This is what St. Paul is getting at in the text that we will hear later in Romans. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. We are baptized into the future and partake of those sweet fruits of eternal life even now. This is what the Pascha Nostrum, the great hymn of Easter proclaims. When the first fruits come, it means that the harvest is coming soon. Christ is raised from the dead as the first sign of God's inbreaking future, and there will be much more fruit to follow, much grace and love to taste and see. When we hear the angels at the tomb tell the women, remember how Jesus told you. 
They say this because they understand things from the fullness of time. In saying, remember, they are calling into the present all of those times that God's future has already been revealed. Remember how he was born to a lowly mother, how he healed the sick, how he cast out demons, how he forgave sins, how he fed the multitudes, how he showed us God's love. Again, these things were not of the past, but rather incursions of God's future into these experiences of these faithful women. The resurrection is the culmination of time, and it has crested upon the shores of our world so that we might have life and have it abundantly. Ultimately, this is what the Eucharist does. The sacrament that we will celebrate will not happen on April 16th because it is happening in the fullness of time. And by God's grace, we are brought into that moment of our salvation when we gather in the risen one's name to break bread and share the celebratory wine of God's victory. What we receive are tokens of the body and blood of Christ that shows us the fullness of God's love, which comes to us from the fullness of time. This is the night that the Lord has made when the fullness of time comes to be. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.